Uh, Pastor is away on what I think we would all agree is a much-needed and very well-deserved vacation. Uh, So I get the privilege of being with you all uh, this morning. But before I start, I'm going to drink some water. Sorry. All right. I didn't want to spill that. Uh, So before we really get going this morning, uh, can we just play a quick game? Uh, It's very unconventional, uh, but I just want to play a quick game, just a game of confession. Uh, I don't know if you're going to participate, but I'm going to. Uh, Just remember, this is a safe place. You are loved by God. You are loved by us. There is no shame. If you're online, you have some extra privacy. No shame. All right, here we go. How many of you have ever Facebook or social media stalked somebody? You didn't do it on purpose. You're not a weirdo. Uh, You're just on Facebook and you're just scrolling and you're like, oh, who's that? Oh, they know a cousin of mine. Well, who's that? They know that friend of that cousin's friend. And then the next thing you know, it's 30 minutes later and you're scrolling through some random person's pictures. How many of you have done it? Okay, I'm glad it's not just me. But here's what's crazy, right? So we live in an environment where the very way that we live life makes us feel like we're connected to people that we really have no connection with at all. Right, so we have social media that makes us think this. We have entire magazines like People or Us Weekly that are dedicated completely to someone else's life. Uh, so for instance, just going to be a little vulnerable this morning, uh, I'm a huge fan of Dude Perfect on YouTube. Uh, some people like that. Some people are confused and don't know what I just said. Uh, they make trick shot videos uh, and they do other silly and funny things. And sometimes I feel childish for liking them. But I do. But because they've kind of invited me into their lives and their work by releasing these videos, I feel like we're best friends. Right? Like I'll talk to Taylor about their videos and I'll start referencing them like by their first names, just assuming she knows who I'm talking about. But if we passed each other on the street, they would have no clue who I was. Right? I'm sure they know I exist. Well, I'm not even sure that. They know that a person exists that liked them on YouTube, but they don't know that it's me, right? Uh, Basically, we just have a one-sided, very surface-level connection, which really means that we have no connection at all. Uh, And I would venture a guess that we all do this to some degree, or maybe we have at one point in our lives, Uh, right? So for my wife, it's someone in the fitness nutrition industry that she's learned a lot from. Uh, For you, it might be someone else on YouTube. It might be uh, a professional athlete or a well-known business person. Maybe it's an actor or an actress. Uh, Maybe it's Joanna Gaines. Uh, But the point is, all of these instances, all of these false connections, that they give us that false sense of connection, right? In other words, we don't really know them. We just know about them. And based on what we find in Scripture, this isn't just a problem of today. Jesus dealt with it while he was on the earth, and we're going to read a passage that tells us that it will still be a problem in the future. Um, So uh, our example, we can find one in Matthew chapter 7 during Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. There's a lot of other things going on um, 
in this passage a lot of other context surrounding it, but I want to read it because I think it sets us up well for our main passage. So it'll be up on the screen, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. The Bible says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So what we see in these verses is that there are people who say and maybe even believe that they know Jesus or that they're connected to Jesus, but Jesus points out that they aren't, which then also means that there's another group who actually is. Right, so there's this dichotomy, this contrast uh, between two groups, those who know about Jesus and those who know Jesus. Those who think they're connected to Jesus and those who actually are. And there's another way that we can phrase this connection. We could say that those who have intimacy with Jesus. Jesus actually gives us a perfect picture to help us understand this difference when he said in John chapter 15 that he is the vine and we are the branches. And we are to abide in him. We're to stay connected to him like a branch is connected to a vine. Now, I don't want you to think... Um, that I'm setting up this idea that it's bad to learn about Jesus or that it's bad to spend time studying the Bible. I am, however, trying to point out that we shouldn't just stop at knowledge about him. right? Because there's this deeper level than knowing about him, and that's really knowing him. That's being connected to him, having intimacy with him, or, or having this true connection. Right, but do you see... The difference, because intimacy will always include a growing knowledge of Jesus. It will always include a growing knowledge of Jesus, but knowledge itself doesn't mean that intimacy exists. Right? As I pursue an intimate relationship with Jesus, a natural byproduct is that he will reveal himself more to me and I will learn more about him. But just because... I study scripture and I cross-reference passages or I take notes during sermons or I learn Old Testament history, that doesn't mean that I'm really connected to him, right? Because in all of those things, I could still be pursuing knowledge more than I'm pursuing Jesus, right? And that's where, that's where my struggle is, right? In my quiet time, I often pursue knowledge above other things um, because my entire life, I felt this drive to learn as much as I possibly can. For whatever reason, I feel like knowledge protects me. In case anybody asks me a weird question, I'm going to have the answer. Uh, there's other times that because I work in ministry, uh, again, just going to be honest, I feel like I have to have a quiet time even when I don't feel like it. Then there's other times that I feel like, again, I have to have all the answers just in case someone asks a question, so I need to study more because I gotta know. And maybe for you, maybe you feel the, the same struggle. Maybe you feel like you have to have a quiet time because uh, we tell you to, or your parents tell you to, or uh, you feel like you should, or maybe you wanna set a good example for your kids, but not really because 
you want Jesus. And as we continue, I mean, if, if you haven't figured it out from what I just said, um, I'm still working on this. Uh, I, I haven't perfected this yet. And that's not some preacher who's trying to make you feel better spiel either. I mean, you can ask my wife. Like, this contrast is hard for me. Uh, uh, our praise team, even, uh, we shared with each other at the beginning of the year one big prayer request that we each had for ourselves that we wanted them to pray with us about. Uh, and this was mine. That to learn to simply be with the Lord. Because I struggle with that. I struggle to feel this deep connection, this intimacy with him. Like I feel like if, if I have quiet time and I didn't learn something, then I've missed an opportunity. So this very idea and concept is, is really what the Lord is teaching me. So I'm not trying to come to you today to, to put you down or to make it seem like I know everything and I've got this figured out. I just felt like the Lord laid this topic on my heart to preach because I think understanding this contrast is vital to our walk with him. It makes all the difference. Uh, and probably because I needed to study this and dig a little deeper, uh, and doing so has given me that chance to. Is that fair enough? All right, turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. While you're turning there, I'm going to take another drink. So as we read, uh, remember what we've already discovered, right? That there's this very distinct difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus uh, or, or having this intimacy with him, being uh, between like thinking that you're connected to him and actually being connected. And we'll actually see this displayed in our text. So Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. The Bible says, and one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. So this is speaking of Jesus. A Pharisee wanted Jesus to, to come to his house for dinner. It says, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. Jesus says, There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, 
but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, thy faith hath saved thee, go in peace. So the first thing I want us to glean from this passage this morning is only knowing about Jesus really leads us to use him. And I want to be clear, I, I know that nobody, at least I hope, nobody really sets out to use Jesus when they never really truly intend to follow him. Like, I, I hope it's rare that people make it a point to get what they can from Jesus and not care about the rest. But I still think that there is a danger of following Jesus simply for what we can get from him or what he can do for us. And I think that that danger comes into play when we settle for only knowing about him, when we settle for thinking that we're connected to Jesus. And we see this displayed in Simon the Pharisee. In verse 36, Jesus is invited to dinner at Simon's house, most likely after he had finished teaching. Uh, for Simon, having the visiting rabbi over for a meal would have been considered a religious merit or, or something worthy of praise. So Jesus, in this case, should have been considered the guest of honor for this kind of meal. But we soon learn that Simon is only spending time with Jesus out of a sense of duty and not out of a desire to honor him. Because uh, you see, in the first century Middle East, we're going to have a mild history lesson. There, there's certain types of etiquette that would accompany this type of meal. Right? There were certain practices that were expected. They were considered hospitable. Uh, the first one, uh, the customary greeting for an honored guest would have been a kiss. Uh, if it was someone of equal social rank, uh, the, the host would have greeted the guest with a kiss on the cheek. If it was someone of especially high honor, the host would have greeted the guest with a kiss on the hand. And to ignore this kiss of greeting was the equivalent of completely ignoring somebody. So imagine you invite someone into your home and then you refuse to acknowledge their presence. You don't say hi to them, you don't shake their hand, you don't even look at them. Like that's what we're talking about. Another part of this etiquette involved the washing of feet, which was mandatory before meals. If they wanted to uh, especially honor the guest, then the host themselves would wash the guest's feet. If not, then they might have a servant do it for them. Uh, at the very least, the host would have provided some water that the guests might wash their own feet. And then for an especially distinguished guest, uh, the host might also give them some olive oil for anointing their head. This oil wasn't expensive, um, didn't put the, the host out really much, but it was just considered an especially hospitable gesture. So knowing all of this now, it, it gives new light to what we see in verses 44 through 46 of our text. We see that when Jesus is speaking to Simon, he references the fact that there was no kiss of greeting. There was no washing of feet and there was no anointing with the oil. So for someone in Simon's position as a Pharisee though, 
He would have known these things. Which means that to ignore them and not do them was deliberate. So Jesus here has been ignored and insulted. But I don't want us to, to, to miss the irony of this moment. You see, because as a Pharisee, Simon would have spent his entire life studying the scriptures. Uh, based on tradition, we know that uh, from the age of 12, like by the time he was 12, he would have memorized the first 12 books of the Bible. Memorized completely. By the time he was 15, he would have memorized the remainder of the Old Testament. And he would have committed to memory the more than 300 prophecies about the coming Messiah. And yet he didn't realize that it was that same Messiah who now sat at his table with a hand that hadn't been kissed, with feet that hadn't been washed, and with a head that hadn't been anointed with oil. Simon knew all about Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. He might have felt a false sense of connection with him because they were both rabbis, but he wasn't truly connected. He didn't experience intimacy with him. And from what I see, frankly, this led Simon to use Jesus as a prop, essentially, because by inviting Jesus over and ignoring all of these customs, Simon shows that really his only aim was to gain favor with his fellow Pharisees or other people and not to build a relationship with Jesus. We see this pattern throughout Scripture from other Pharisees and even other people who claim to follow him. In John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, when he's speaking to Pharisees, Jesus says, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me that you might have life. So Jesus has basically just called out the Pharisees because they thought that it was in the scriptures or their knowledge of the scriptures that they would find salvation, but that the scriptures actually point to Jesus and that they wouldn't come to Jesus so that they might actually have life. In Matthew chapter 15, verses eight, excuse me, verses 8 and 9, when he's speaking of common people, Jesus says, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Here Jesus has essentially said that people say things that make it seem like they're close to him, but their hearts are proving differently. And finally, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 29, when he's speaking to the Sadducees, uh, another group of religious officials, the Bible says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. And when Jesus says, Ye do err, he's simply saying that, that they're making an error or they're in the wrong uh, because they don't know the scriptures, that they don't know the power of God that actually points to him. And these examples point to a very real and sobering truth that I think we all need to realize. And that's that just because we attend church services, read our Bibles, and live moral lives does not mean that we have intimacy with Jesus. 
The Pharisees knew more about the scriptures than any of us could ever hope to, and yet Jesus rebuked them for not truly believing in him. In our passage in Matthew 15, we see that other people clearly said nice things about Jesus, but Jesus said their hearts were far from him. So, if knowing about Jesus or, or thinking that we're connected to him uh, isn't enough, if it leads us to use him for our own gain, if it keeps our hearts far from him, then we can't stay in that place. Right? We can't settle for that. The second thing I want us to learn from this passage is that intimacy with Jesus leads us to love him. Remember, in this scene, Jesus has been invited to Simon's house for dinner, but Jesus has basically been ignored. And it's at this point that we're introduced to a new person, the woman. The woman uh, was not invited to this meal, uh, and verse 37 actually describes her as a sinner. And the only other thing is we find out that somehow she found out that Jesus was at Simon's house. And that was really all she needed. Uh, they just had him up, but look at uh, verses 38 or 37 and 38 again with me. The Bible says, And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. So we're not told when Jesus, uh, or rather when this woman first heard Jesus teach. Maybe it was earlier that day. We're not told what Jesus said that impacted her so much. We're not told um, what he did that caused her to respond this way. But really we don't need those details because we see the effect of them. She didn't care what the proper etiquette was. She didn't care what the consequences were. She just needed to be with Jesus. This is what we mean by true connection. This is the kind of intimacy that we're talking about. You see, this woman probably knew very little about Jesus, and she definitely knew less than Simon did. But she knew enough to know him as Messiah, and it caused her to, to long to be with him, to, to long to, to be with him, no matter the consequences. Someone has described this scene by saying that the woman was desperate to express the love and affection she felt for Jesus. When was the last time you felt desperate to be alone with Jesus? When was the last time you felt compelled to express the, how much you love and adore him, not caring about what other people might think of you? When was the last time you spent time with Jesus in his word and in prayer just because you could? We see the same level of intimacy displayed in other parts of scripture. In Psalm chapter 16, verse 8, David writes, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. In Psalm 27, verse 4, David again writes, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And again, in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, David writes, As the heart or the deer panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 73, verse 28, Asaph writes, But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. And finally, probably the best example that we have in Scripture is in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, where the Apostle Paul writes, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but done, that I may win Christ. I think this contrast that we're talking about um, is kind of like a seesaw, right? You have these two opposite points. We've been talking about them. You, you have knowing about Jesus and really knowing Jesus. You have thinking you're connected to Jesus and actually being connected to Jesus. And I think the thing in the middle, the thing that tips us one way or the other is true belief. Belief in who Jesus is and who he promises to be. Belief that he is the vine and that I'm just a branch. You see, because when I feel like I can supply my own needs, that I'm doing just fine on my own. Uh, when I think that I'm the vine and the source uh, of what I need, then I don't really have a need for Jesus as my vine. I don't seek connection with him. I don't have intimacy because I have this false belief, this twisted belief of who he is and who I am. And I'm sure Simon must have felt this way. I mean, as a Pharisee, he was one of the religious elite he had spent his entire life studying the scriptures and attempting to understand it and then communicate it back to common people. He knew every single word that God had ever written. So I'm sure he probably thought that he was already close enough to God. He, he might have thought that based on his own merit, he was all set. The other side of that is that when I remember that I'm just a branch, when I remember that I can't do anything on my own, and I believe that Jesus is the vine and that I will die if I am not connected to him, it's then that I actually grow to love him as the vine. So we see this displayed in our text. Jesus tells Simon this. He tells him that the one who is forgiven little loves little, but the one who is forgiven of more loves more. This intimacy and connection that we ought to seek after comes when we realize how much Jesus has given us and it causes us to love him as the vine even more. This was the case for the woman in our text. She came to Jesus and did these outrageous things because she knew she didn't deserve anything that Jesus could offer her. For our purposes, we could say that she, maybe she realized she was just a branch 
who would wither away. And it caused her to love Jesus as the vine. It led her to intimacy and connection, knowing that she needed him. She believed that Jesus was everything she needed, and she couldn't help but express her love for him. In John chapter 6, verse 29, the Bible lays out a, a pretty straightforward understanding of what I think God wants for us. The Bible says, Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. That's it. God wants us to believe in Jesus. He wants us to believe in who he is and who he promises to be, to believe that Jesus is the vine and that we're just a branch. I believe that true belief is the difference, is that tipping point between these two things because it leads to connections since we know that without him we're nothing. Which also means that we have to rely solely and completely on Jesus and on his timing and on his plan. Because we're just branches. We can't cause anything to happen on our own. The question is, are you okay with that? Knowing that you have to completely rely on Jesus and on his timing and his perfect plan, which might mean that things don't work out the way that you want them to, Are you still willing to fully surrender to him? Are you still willing to love him? If Jesus chooses not to take away your pain and allows it to remain, will you still love him? If Jesus chooses not to give you what you want, will you still love him? Another way to, to ask this question is with another more simple question. Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough for you? We saw from the passages of scripture that we just read that he was for this woman. He was for David and for Asaph and for Paul and for Enoch and for so many others. We said earlier that only knowing about Jesus leads us to use him. And I think that that's because once we know what Jesus is capable of doing and giving, we want that for ourselves. Right? We want to go to heaven. We want blessings and a plan for our life. So, of course, we'll go to Jesus. We want to feel good and have a positive attitude throughout our day. So, of course, we'll start our day by reading the Bible. I want to know as much as I possibly can. So of course I'm going to go to the one who knows everything and hope that he shares just a little bit with me. Simon probably wanted status or maybe to seem righteous. And maybe he thought that being hospitable to Jesus was his best opportunity for that. So why wouldn't he? We all want what we think is best. And if Jesus can get that for us, then of course we'll go to him. But in all of those instances, and even the ones that we didn't take time to list, Jesus isn't the primary target or objective. And that's what I mean when I say that only knowing about him leads us to, to use him. We don't intentionally set out to do it, but without the proper belief of who he is, 
we end up seeking gain rather than seeking Jesus. However, intimacy with Jesus leads us to love him and love him no matter what. So whether your pain is removed right away or it remains, Jesus is worthy. Whether your heartache is removed right away or it remains, Jesus is worthy. Whether the debt remains or is removed right away, Jesus is worthy. Whether the sickness is removed right away or it remains, Jesus is still worthy. You see, when we are truly connected to him, when we have a right and a true belief of who he is and who we are, we can't help but love him and express our love to him and to others, no matter what goes on around us. So how do we get there? How do we move beyond head knowledge and toward heartfelt intimacy? I told you at the beginning of our time together that this is still something that I'm working on personally, uh, but even so, I believe that there's two things that we can do to begin this process. These two things might not surprise you, and they certainly won't make things completely better overnight. It won't be a, an overnight change, I mean, which is evident by my continued struggle with this. But there really are only options. First, I think we need to spend time in prayer. We referenced it earlier, but John chapter 15 and verse 5 is clear. Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. And as pastor likes to do at various times, the word nothing in this passage literally means nothing. We can't eat. We can't sleep. We can't talk. We can't breathe. Our brains don't function. Our hearts don't beat. We can't make decisions. We can't praise the Lord. We can't go to work. We can't take care of our family. We can't do anything without the help and the power of Jesus. So why would we approach this subject any differently? Right? No matter how much we might want to change, no matter how much we want to know Jesus and be in true connection and relationship with him, no matter how much we want intimacy and to have true belief, we can't accomplish those things without his help. So we need to ask for it. Spend time in prayer asking God to make you desperate for him. I just started praying this myself. Um, and to be honest, I'm still a little scared about what the outcome might be. Um, what might happen to drive me to desperation. But scripture is clear. We just read it a little bit ago. Everything else is worthless. Simply compared to knowing Jesus. Ask God to, to help you truly believe that Jesus is willing to do what he said he would. Ask God to help you accept his timing. It's time we got intentional with our prayers. And if you're not praying, start. Pastor says it all the time. He says, we don't pray because we don't pray. We don't want to pray because we haven't been praying. Don't let this fear or worry that God doesn't want to hear from you stop you from running to him and asking him for help. 
No relationship can flourish without communication. Right? If I didn't talk to my wife for days, let alone months, how well do you think our marriage would be doing? Prayer is our opportunity. It's our chance to communicate with the creator of the universe, with our Savior, with our Lord, and run to him and ask him to help us move away from only knowing about him, to ask for his help to move towards true connection. The second thing I think we need to do is spend time in God's word. I know. Really original application points. Probably never saw them coming. I want to share another passage of scripture with you. Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. Uh, kind of blew my mind this week a little bit. Here it is. It says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now keep looking at that verse. It says that as we behold the glory of the Lord, that's how we are changed. As we behold the glory of the Lord, the Spirit begins to transform us more into the image of Christ. We aren't transformed by being good, by attending church services, by completing our daily scripture reading, by memorizing lots of scripture, by maintaining our spiritual disciplines. We are transformed by beholding the glory of the Lord. We become more like Christ by beholding the glory of the Lord. And we behold his glory by spending time in his word. And the more time we spend focused on him, the more rapid the transformation becomes. Now, we are light years away from the righteousness and the glory of Jesus. So I don't, I, I, please don't take my phrasing to mean that you're going to be perfect in just five short years. This isn't an infomercial where we're trying to sell a product. But the undeniable truth is that the more time we spend in God's word, beholding his glory, spending time with him, the more we begin to see ourselves changed by the Spirit. And it's not something that you and I can cause or, or will into happening. It's simply a byproduct of being with him and being in his presence. So whether it's an hour or 30 minutes or even just five minutes, I'm going to encourage you to set time aside, to spend time alone with God in his word. But seek to spend time with him, not to learn, not to check it off your list, not to seem holy to other people or appease someone else, but simply to be in the presence of the Savior. You will undoubtedly learn things as you spend time in his word, but I would encourage you to not let that be your focus. We said earlier that knowing Jesus, truly being connected to him or having intimacy with him will always include a growing knowledge about him. But it's so much deeper than the facts that we've learned. And if you struggle to be in his presence, uh, go back to step number one. Pray and ask for God's help. It, it might not be an instant change, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that prayers requesting help being in his presence are prayers that he will answer. 
I don't think that he's, he's going to turn you away. Now, these two things are steps that will help those who already have a relationship with Jesus move towards intimacy and truly knowing him. But what if you don't have a relationship with him? You might be here today and you know some things about Jesus, maybe because you grew up in church uh, or maybe simply because he is the most famous person in all of history. Remember, like we said earlier, knowing facts about him doesn't necessarily mean that a relationship exists. I mean, look at the rest of the world today. I'm sure lots of people could tell you and tell us that Jesus is the Christian Messiah. Lots of people describe him as a good teacher or a moral figure. But that doesn't mean that they have intimacy with him or that he's their savior or their Lord. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you know things about Jesus. Maybe you even know that the Bible says that he died for you and that he rose from the grave. But maybe you've never truly accepted and believed that he did that for you. Maybe it's never been personal. And you've never really started a relationship with him by surrendering your life to his will. My plea to you this morning involves the same two steps, just with different intent behind them. First, spend time in prayer. Prayer is the way we communicate with God, and the first thing to do if you want to start a relationship with him is pray and repent of your sins, believe and confess that he is Savior and Lord, and receive his Holy Spirit. Then I would pray and ask that God would help you as you begin your new walk with him. Pray that he helps lead you away from your old life that draws you to sin and, and towards intimacy with him. Second, spend time in his word. As with any new relationship, if you do all the talking, things will get awkward fast. You have to let the other person talk some. Spend time in God's word and allow him to talk to you. Allow him to show you how you should live and act. And allow him to begin to transform you into the image of his son through the power of his spirit. Whether you have a relationship with Jesus or you need to begin one today, only knowing about Jesus is never enough. If we stay at that place, we eventually use Jesus as a prop or simply a ticket to heaven, only worried about what we can get from him or what we can gain. As we ask for his help in prayer and we spend time in his word, my hope in prayer is that each of us would begin to desire Jesus simply for who he is. That we would begin to recognize when we're settling for knowledge rather than pursuing intimacy. And I really believe that every Christian discipline flows from this very topic. Serving, giving, praying, Bible study, parenting, marriage, relationships, purity. All of them take on a new light when I believe that Jesus is the vine when I have a true and right belief of who Jesus is and who I am. 
We're going to want to go to him. We're going to long to be with him. And we're going to want to go to him before we seek advice from the rest of the world. Rather than distract ourselves with the things of the world, we're going to run to the secret place for comfort. Is Jesus enough for you? Let's pray. Lord, I am so thankful that you are the kind of king and Lord that you are. God, you don't have to love us. You don't have to show us mercy and be gracious to us. But God, I'm thankful that you do. And God, I pray now as we move into a time of invitation that that each of us would look within ourselves and really have the courage to assess where we are, whether we have a relationship with him or not. If we do, whether we're settling for knowledge about him or we think that we're connected when we really aren't. And God, I pray that beyond having the courage to, to assess ourselves, God, that you would give us the courage to do something about it that today would be the day that we would all move away from just knowing about you and we would move towards true connection with you. God, we can't do anything without you and nothing happens outside of your plan. So God, as we, as we take this time, I pray that you would take over, maybe even more than you already have. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.